sometimes we go to their class and their school and you see the little class, you see the little kids class. Just before. And that, that's where you're like, oh, this is just, you know, you, you can't give yeah. eight little kids foam swords. And no direction. And the instructor is giggling more than the kids because they're the instructor's 14. So it's like, okay, this is, this is what we're trying to avoid. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Conversations from the Heart. Today, we are joined by Mr. and Mrs. Ruddock from Nick Sirio's Kempo Karate out in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Mr. and Mrs. Ruddock, thanks for joining us on the show. Happy to be here. Welcome, guys. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, so we're just getting to know you guys. It sounds like you have a great school out there in Massachusetts. And to, for our students to get to know you a little better, can you tell us how you get started in the martial arts and where you're at today? You go first. Sure. So I'll go first because my journey is a little longer. Um, so I did um, Kempo Karate when I was a little kid, stuck with it for, you know, five minutes. Um, as I went through my teen years, I got back into martial arts, but a friend of mine was uh, into mixed martial arts at the time. So this was pre-UFC. Mm. And um, his friend actually fought in the first UFC. So Jason Galusha. All right. And uh, so I got into a little bit more then. Um, and then I have another friend who ended up fighting in the UFC. I used to train with him in my 20s. And then I had a family. And my 30s were uh, the dark ages for me. Nothing was really going on. And that's kind of where she picks up. So I started martial arts because of our children. Our mm -hmm. oldest son, who is now 16, decided at four years old he wanted everything to do with karate except take class. I signed him up, I took him, and he screamed and cried. Mm. So we pulled him, and found a new school, fell in love with it, watched through the years. Our now co-owner came on as owner, and I really enjoyed the way he taught classes and mm. went home and said, I want to take karate classes. And he said, I'm not going to be the only one in the house not doing it. So we started taking classes and that was, we joined, or I joined about six years ago. Mm. Yes, ma'am. And we're now both first degree black belts in um, Nick Serio Kempo as are our two sons. Um, I also, I teach yoga. I'm a certified yoga instructor. My background in, I have my bachelor's degree in dance. So movement speaks to me. Now I'm just literally using a different language yes yes we've all we've all branched out a little bit so uh, my oldest son and myself i got back into brazilian jiu-jitsu with him about three years ago our uh youngest son he competes quite a bit so um he picked up shotokan karate as well to get some of their forms so we're all kind of cross-training at and, the moment and i teach tai chi also i started taking tai chi and said this works right now let's add this in so that's awesome. a bit of everything yeah it's uh it's always such a wonderful um story when the whole family can do it together and you guys can grow together i did it with my dad when i was younger and it was a profound experience i'm sure it is for you guys 
it's rare that all family members get to that black belt level though so that's a more power to you guys must be good coaches for each other and supporting each other (laughs) 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 so um you know what it sounds like you guys have a really diverse background and so you, you probably do have a very unique teaching philosophy although there's certain things that i find like are kind of universal truths uh, as we teach and work with kids and so i'm sure we're going to have a lot of agreement on things but what is you know kind of the core of your you know teaching philosophy it might be a little different for each one of you guys but mr ruddick if you can kind of start us off like what's the core of your sort of teaching philosophy i think the most important thing for any any person who's doing instruction of any kind is know what you are and what the person who came to you is trying to accomplish. Mm. So every kid who walks through the door is not looking for the same thing. Every adult that walks through the door is not looking for the same thing. Uh, in my 20s, I was a personal trainer. So I kind of picked up a little bit there. Every person who walks into the gym is not there to get big and strong. There's yeah. a lot of different reasons. My favorite story of that is there's a gentleman and he came in every day on his lunch break, busted his butt for an hour. Every single day, he looked exactly the same from year one to year three. And I said to him, like, Al, what, what are you doing? He's like, I only come here so I can eat whatever I want. So he was only there to maintain what he looked like. And once he said that, you understood what his motivations were. And I think for me, with the different kids, it's pulling out what their motivations are. Um, a lot of the kids don't know. Parents dropped them off here. My mom mom said I had to do something physical. The adults will tell you a reason why they're there, but there might be some underlying reasons. So you kind of got to flesh those out a little bit. Yeah, but for me, it's just figuring out what they're looking for and if we can provide that for them. If we can't provide it for you, if you're looking to looking to do, you know, UFC fighting, yeah, I know a place. I got I got a place. I we don't do that here. That's not what we're about. So. Yeah, that, that's pretty much how I look at things. Mine's a little different. Um, I focus, I actually teach our Riddle Ninja program. I have a, also have a toddler program I teach. And my biggest focus is understanding the kid's developmental level. Mm-hmm. You can have six four-year-olds in the room, and they are not the same. Mm-hmm. And understanding and reaching out to each kid individually, but as a whole, getting the class to work together and stuff like that. That's really where, where I focus in. And I think that's where my, my dance background comes in, understanding what mm-hmm. age can they jump at? What age can they skip at? What age can I expect them to actually sit still? And just understanding that aspect of it really takes and starts our littlest ones off with a really a solid base of what we want their future in martial arts to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally true. You know, every kid is at a different level, um, at different ages and stuff. Do you guys have a little warriors program, little dragons or little ninjas or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What age do you start at and what age does that kind of te- uh, move into your more of your standard program? So I have the little ninja program. I start at four years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do also have a toddler and me program where it's a parent and a child. And that starts at about 18 months old. That's a little more structured play with some fun, big, loud noises and maybe some of the moves we learn. But our our structured little ninja program is four years old, and I'm typically transitioning them to our young beginners around six, seven years old. Mm. And what I've done is I've taken our white to yellow belt curriculum, 
and I've taken it and put it into bite-sized little chunks and expecting so that in 10 weeks, this four-year-old will know this. And they get a new belt stripe about every 10 to 12 weeks. And that's strictly based off attendance and their ability goes a little bit into it. If we have a five-year-old who's showing like, okay, they are in this, I might move them up to a tougher level class and we'll see how they handle that. And then they know, oh, I'm getting looked at for my next belt and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we have hard and fast rules that we're very willing to break when it comes to age requirements, attendance requirements, things like that. I mean, there's, there's always an exception. And it's not good to play to the lowest person in the class, but you also don't want to play to the highest person in the class. So mm -hmm. we kind of look at each kid individually and make sure that they're getting what they need. And what sometimes, especially with the little ones, I don't care if they can throw a punch. I, can they stand still for 10 seconds? That's far more important for me. And we, we say this to the parents when they come in, like if you're eight year old, if they're here to learn how to fight, then you need, you have other problems. Martial arts isn't going to solve them. Something's mm -hmm. else going on if the kid's fighting all the time. So we tell them like, listen, we're going to teach them the basics of martial arts. And then maybe when they're 12 years old, if they're really interested in fighting, in competition, in instructing, whatever it is, okay, well then separate them down the appropriate path. Yeah. So I, I spent a lot of time in mixed martial arts schools and traditional martial arts schools. And, you know, a lot of the MMA schools I trained at were just all adults. And the teacher, a lot of times, this is a bit of a generalization, but a lot of times didn't know nearly as much about teaching as the traditional martial arts schools that had, um, you know, a whole gambit of students from, you know, the really little kids all the way up to adults. And I always tell my my leadership team, my instructor training team, that like if you really want to learn how to teach somebody, go work with the little warriors because those those will really challenge you. And I feel like the younger the group goes down, the more you really get to see because we're we're all kind of little warriors. We just kind of we, we pile on this sort of fosse that we're like adults and we don't have this emotional core that's like driving all of our actions. But really deep down, we are just like. Uh, those little warriors and so learning to work with them is like you really understand how humans um react and, and think and so um that's why i asked about the little warriors program because i felt like man like for me when i started the little warriors program i started to really understand like okay what's the difference between four and three and a half there's a big difference there oh, you know man. what's the difference between three and a half and three like these ages are so and then you know when you get way up high like you're talking about what's the difference between 35 and 40 I mean, there's nothing but like down here there's a really big difference and so it's so important uh, I we think say that all program. the time an inquiry will come in for like a five-year-old but i'm like when did the child <laughs> when turn did they five, five? Yeah. did they turn five five minutes ago or will they be six in two weeks because that's a completely different kid and then they'll, they'll say he's turning five in three days and you're like <laughs> is that even five yet yeah yeah well one of the things that we, we also do is um, I just lost my train of thought. But, um, we, we try to make sure that not only is everybody getting individual training, but when they're coming through these programs that we're making sure every person is progressing at their pace, mm -hmm. not just at whatever. And I think one of the interesting things that we do, we, we don't see this a lot in our area. I don't know how this is in other parts of the country, but 
she teaches, she's probably our best teacher, has the most experience teaching. She teaches the littlest ones. Most places have the teenagers do it. Like, oh, I don't want to deal with those little kids. Let them run around and hit each other with pool noodles. So when they do get into our Young Beginner program, they already got a very good boundaries and structure for what goes on in the dojo because she's, um, you haven't heard it yet, but she can get really loud. <laughs> she doesn't yell, but she's nice and loud. So the kids understand like, okay, that's something we can't do. So having your best instructors teach the hardest students, I think is, is very key to, to success or keeping a good retention with students. And we have a leadership program also, and not to toot my own horn, but I'm going to toot my own horn. They all start with me. All of our leadership team, when they start learning to teach, they start in my classes with the littlest kids, how I interact with the kids, how I want them to interact with the kids. And I have no problem saying to one of the assistants, hey, you're not really doing much right now. Let, let's go or you're not loud enough, you need to speak up, let's go. And they're starting to understand, okay. And they also learn there's certain words you don't use with little kids. Like with a four-year-old, you don't say the word jog because they have no idea what that means. So they're learning the new, the new language as an instructor that you have to use. And they learn how to mirror everything, which is near impossible sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Working with, um, so we have, you know, our instructional hierarchy at the school and me and most of my fellow staff members are, are junior instructors. We have uh, an assistant instructor who just came on. And so, you know, we're, we're all still part of the leadership team and moving up and we have these weekly meetings and working with this most recent um, staff members come on, you know, he's, he's still in high school and, and it's been so fun working with him because he comes in, he's like, all right, I got this. And then, you know, I'll be at the front desk and I kind of lock eyes with him on the floor. And he's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I got this. And so it's, it's always this awesome physical conversation that's happening, but also like, you know, you can say so much with your eyes in the middle of a class and you have to be careful what the kids see you communicating right mm -hmm. and so uh, it's just and, and of course the same thing happens with the junior instructors and the head instructor or uh, the master instructor right where you know sometimes we'll be out there and i find myself going oh my gosh i don't know what to do in this situation and you can't let it crumble you know you can't let it fall apart because the parents mm -hmm. are watching the other kids are watching and there's just that uh, that's what's so fun about working one of the things that's so fun about working in this capacity because through those experiences, you get that bond, that trust, that understanding of, okay, we're in this together. Well, mm -hmm. Let's make it a great class. Let's, let's really bring these kids to meet their potential. Um, mm -hmm. And there's that classic saying, right? Like the, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you don't understand it well enough. Yes. And I think that goes right into the instruction. If you can't teach a five-year-old how to so just simple thing of um making a fist properly uh -huh. so we we have to break it down to put your hand up make your thumb go out now it's there's a there's a whole process to it and they tuck it in because <laughs> most people will go just do this what why can't you do that well they, they don't understand to do that and like the way we teach break fall so she teaches the little kids four years old how to sit down on their on their bum roll back slap out with a, what's the most important part don't let your head hit the ground and then yeah. there's a whole progression to that we start with just lay on your back with your head up 
and slap the ground. Okay, now make yourself a ball and just roll back. Okay, now make yourself a ball, roll back and hit. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, it goes up. Okay, now do it from a squat position. And depending on how old they are, it depends on how quickly they progress through. A brand new adult will have them step one through four kind of blur into one, and then you just shift accordingly. Yeah. But you got to know what your audience. But we've we've been at places and watched them instruct, and we're like, man, you can't just say, okay, just go down like this and then correct. You have to have that nice progression, especially with little kids. So one of the things that I find, um, you know, not to toot my own horn, but like I feel it's a real blessing having come to to my school, like for Jesse and my other instructors, because. I started teaching when I was 12, assisting with classes, and I was a paid instructor at 15. I had my own program at 18. And so I've been working with kids a long time, and I was very fortunate to train under one instructor um, who is my grandmaster of my school, uh, Grandmaster Kwan, and he's just phenomenal with kids. He was just he had, he had a real good instinct on how to work with children, and mm-hmm. I basically just copied him for a long time until I developed my own skills. But uh, over the years, I trained like 30 different schools, and I've gone through so many places with bad instructors and I see these, it's like, it's almost like sad to me because there's no example to follow of a good instructor. So they don't know, they don't even know how to get there. Like they're good, you know, they, they seem, they're nice people and they're trying hard, but they just don't know how to be a good instructor. And it kind of takes me back to what you were talking about, where it's like, you put your best instructor in that little warriors program so that the quality is there so that when they get to the, what we call our standard program with the, with the older kids, um, you don't have to do much work. Like our standard program is like better than, it's like an adult class. It feels, it feels great. And all the work is done at Little Warriors program. And it's usually done within three or four months of that kid joining Little Warriors. So most of our Little Warriors look perfect. They're just sitting there like this, but you know, you get the new kid in and everyone sees, wow, how far these kids have come because he's just you know, <laughs> kind of going crazy. Um, but you know, what I think a lot of instructors do is they never had a good example of an instructor who kind of took them by the hand and showed them the ropes, you know, like in this situation, you need to have more energy in that situation. You need to bring down your energy. You know, you need to make sure you're maintaining eye contact and you're saying these things, all these kind of things. So what they do is they say, okay, you teenagers go teach the little warriors class. And then no one ever learns. The head instructor never learns because he doesn't get in there in the, in the ring and actually learn himself. Mm-hmm. And then the teenager has no example to follow. So they're just kind of, you know, fumbling through. And then it creates a, you know, a bad school where the parents look and they say, oh, well, I'm not really, these kids aren't really learning anything. So then they tend to have a, lo- a small little worse program that never really grows. So anyway, long story short, my point here is that it's, it's really important if you're looking and maybe this is for our audience watching this video. If you're looking to join a martial arts school and you have interest in the martial arts, you really want to make sure you're joining a school with a good leadership team and a good uh, staff who knows how to work with children. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you'll never learn those skills. And it's the most important skill to running a successful martial arts school, in my opinion. Yes, business is important. Yes, martial arts skills are important. But the most important thing, I think, is teaching ability. Because I've met some really good martial artists who cannot teach at all that are really, really critical and harsh and, and they just make students cry. And I've met really good businessmen who aren't folk, don't have enough good teaching skills that they can't put a focus on that. It just destroys the business as well. So it's, it's much easier to teach a 
teach your karate than it is to teach a karate person how to teach. Yeah. So I think it coming in, especially it depends on the rank you're teaching as well and the age. But if you're teaching a little ninjas program, you don't need a lot of martial arts experience. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a friend who owns a dojo up in Maine and he's an excellent teacher. He does preschool programs. He does all kinds of stuff. And he was saying one time, he's like, yeah, one time my daughter needed a soccer coach. She goes, I never played soccer. He goes, but I know how to teach kids. He goes, so I just went and I Googled all the rules of soccer. And he goes, and they had a great season. So it's more important that you can teach. And like you were saying, having that person there before you to show you how to teach. Mm -hmm. There's certain, I I say this all the time, there's certain bad habits I will overlook. And then there's bad habits you just can't let go because they're impossible to fix. Yeah. down the road so that it's knowing those things and my personal training background i think really helps in that because if you have a bad habit in the way you lift weights you can easily injure yourself so it was a lot of breaking things down okay no don't do that no pull your shoulders back first then pull the weight down to your chest so there's a lot of uh, like crossover with that and just understanding like okay that that's a habit that one day when you're 12 years old, I can look at you and go, hey, don't throw the punch like that. Do it like this. And they'll go, oh, okay. And they'll just do it. Right. And then there's other habits where they will just never break out of them. So it's mm-hmm. a difference between are you bending your front knee in your forward stance, front stance, mm-hmm. or are you standing on a tight rope? To me, if they're not bending their knee, it's not that big of a deal, especially if they're a really little kid. Mm-hmm. But if they're standing on a tight rope, that is a bigger deal because then they're always going to be walking in that strange line. So it's a matter of what are you really looking to correct at what point in time? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I feel like I'm talking to our students all the time about the tightrope because I realized it for myself. I was like, man, my feet are really close together. And I'm realizing that I'm like really wobbly. And now I see it. I'm like, you guys, you're going to fall over. Like I see what I see. How you're standing. Right. This goes into, so I broke that down. Yes. Everybody has seen a bicycle. Everybody has seen a kickstand on a bicycle. What's the kickstand designed to do? Keep the bike up when it's perfectly aligned. So take that back foot and your back foot is your kickstand. Yeah. And I mean, you guys know this as Taekwondo people that what's the most important part of a kick? You got to chamber it up. You got to get that chamber up properly. If you're just flinging kicks out, yeah, great. You might be kicking fast, but you're just going to end up hitting the person in the shin because you can't get your foot up. So those are the types of habits that we really look to reinforce the other things that you can fix down the road. My little ninjas, day one, they learn what I call crane walks. It's putting our arms in chambers and walking around with our, we're basically marching, but they're chamber walks. Mm-hmm. So littlest ones, they learn the word crane. Then as they get through the programs, I'm like, okay, now we're going to take away the word crane and we're going to use the word chamber. And mm-hmm. you're going to use that. And that's where your kick's going to come from. And they're like, oh, I already know this. Okay, cool. I've already practiced this. I have my balance ready for it because you, I put it into terms that they can take accordingly. Yeah. Yes, That's awesome. It's all about trying to disguise repetition and find ways to impart skills and that keeps it fun. But especially when you go with the little words, I think that's why it's so, I don't know what you guys call them, but that's what we call like that little, that little, you know, preschool group um ways to basically keep things active and fun but still focusing on the important skills that you want to be um developed by the time they reach the standard program so 
it, I believe it was Jesse M. Camp calls it gamify. Yes. And I heard that word and I was like, oh my God, light bulb moment. That is exactly what it is I'm doing and I need to do. I need to gamify everything. So yeah, yeah we're practicing balance today, but take that mitt and put it on your head. And now do some of your blocks with the mitt on your head and see yeah, what happens. It's and it's the funny, my favorite game to play with the kids. I have a soft boxing glove mm -hmm. on an old belt and I spin it around and they either jump over it or duck under it. And they don't know they're working on timing. They're working on how they're responding to things. They're working on lifting their legs. With, they're just laughing hysterically, having a grand old time. And yeah. then one gets hit and gets knocked down. It's even funnier. But yeah. they have no clue what they're working on. So by the time they get to him and he's doing punches, they know to duck. They know to dodge. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, in Abernathy, calls it repetition by stealth. So I, I'm, I'm a, I teach the older kids. So it's, I'm more of um, creating the flow drill. So if I want to work on, say, an arm drag, we'll warm up with it. And then it will be, okay, throw a roundhouse punch at your partner. They crash in and then do the arm drag. And then when they, I start seeing they're getting bored of that, it's okay, now have, we'll add a finish to it. And you just keep going till you can reach a failure point with that class where they're like, okay, this is getting way too complex for me. But mm -hmm. the whole time they're still doing the arm drag, they just don't realize it because yeah. we keep adding new things into it. And you do that with, um, so we have just an eight point blocking form that we teach the little ones. And the simplest thing we found, so if you can see the dojo behind red us squares. is red squares. That's where the students stand on the red squares. Mm -hmm. And she'll have them do it once and then she'll go new red square and they all just run to a new red square. And we do it again. And they do it again. And they think the game is the running to a new red square. And the blocking form is just the something you do in between. Or we'll have them turn a different direction when I have to fill in every now and then for that class. I make them do it on their knees, on their bellies. And they, they think it's funny. It is funny. But they're still doing the actual executing of the block. So it's just a way to hide it, like you were saying. You know, what a lot of, I think, less experienced instructors will say um, is uh, – well, you're not really completely focused on the core skills. And so you need to just rinse and repeat those core skills if you want your students to get really good. But I think what a more experienced instructor finds is that, yeah, if you do that, we can do that. That's not hard to do. We can do that too. But if we do that, you're going to have like three students that make it anywhere in your program. And you're not going to be able to pay to have your lights on, which means you're not going to be able to advertise very well, which means you're not going to be able to reach a lot of students in the first place. Yep. And those three students are still going to be able to be successful in your program when you have 300 students by teaching the way you guys are teaching, by finding their way up through. And, and like you're saying, sir, where you're doing that more personalized approach, you see that you recognize those three students that do have what it takes to have the more criticism and you give them the, the, the more critical eye because you know that they have what it takes to go all the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very much that. And as kind of um, our co-owner, when we came on, it was for that reason. Like he has the experience. You can see the ability is there, the teaching ability. But he was taught rote repetition, 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 repetition. And uh, yeah, you. so um, Mike Turbot from the UK, he has a very good um, Facebook channel, if you can, if you find him. He... Um, he has this great saying where he says, I can't teach somebody who's not here. Mm. He goes, so what, what good does it do if 
I teach three people when I could teach 40. Yeah, the 40 aren't getting the same instruction as the three, but they're still getting instruction. And it goes down to, again, what I said at the beginning, what are you? What are you trying to impart to these kids? Mm-hmm. And number one thing for me is, can you fall down properly? Because that will help you way more than any fighting because everyone's going to fall down in life. Mm-hmm. Fall down without hitting your head. Awesome. Can you keep your hands up if you feel something is going on? Do you, are you able to be like, hey, hey, back up? Mm-hmm. How to use your voice. One of the things you teach her. All that stuff is way more important than the actual martial skill. Mm-hmm. So that with the adults, I say two things. I say, can you recognize when something is about to go down and take the appropriate steps steps to deal with that? And can you react when something happens? How quickly can you break the freeze? I say everything else we do is just for fun. It, all the all the forms, all the you know the the kicking, the you know partner work. All that's for fun. If you can do those two things, you're pretty safe, especially if you keep yourself aware. That's another thing we really focus on. But with little kids, it's what, what are you trying to teach them? Because it, it's it, that's what it comes down to for me is I want them to leave here with this three skill sets that they didn't have before. So am I okay if they laugh and giggle every now and then? Of course. And I think it's, We say this to some of the parents who come in. We'll tell them, like, our goal is that your kid likes physical activity. Whether he stays here or she stays here or not doesn't matter to me. They go to a different karate school because they like it better, that's fine. They go and play football, that's fine. If they stay and they like it, awesome. But I want them to like physical activity. I don't want them to come in and go, oh, exercise is boring, exercise is no fun, people yell at me when I do it. So the goal is your kid will like to do physical things. And one way we keep track of that is the way our programs break down. Like my four or five-year-olds, 90% of their class is game and having fun. They're learning stuff, but 90% is just, are we having a good time? Our six to seven-year-olds, we shifted a little bit more to like 75% is having fun because they still need mm-hmm. to know that this is an enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. Eight to nine, we're shifting 50-50. Now, this can also depend on rank. Where are they belt-wise at eight or nine years old? Are they just starting or are they already an intermediate student? That mm-hmm. will shift that a little bit too. And then our older students, 10 and up, we're kind of I mean, even our, our teenagers, we st- I swing the boxing glove at the teenagers sometimes because I love knocking them down. But it's <laughs> and that, and plus they hit hard. Plus it's it's just understanding like the the group in front of you. I can have one set of five year olds who are all work and will get to work, and I know that this is how I have to structure this class. I have another set of five year olds that I have to do an obstacle course every week just to keep them coming back for the first chunk of time and then when there is that outlier student who is into it yep. so we have one little girl who's six <laughs> and she you can tell she practices at home mm. so her, her parents come in she's like everywhere we go she's practicing so we invited her to come to the tournament team class that we have which mm. and we tell them we go this is going to be more critical Mm-hmm. This is a class where you're going to get, this kid can handle it though. Yeah. And of course she's six, so I don't, we don't treat her the same way as we would a 13 year old in this class. But those students just have, an, have a path for them to go. 
So they still have their fun class. She's six years old. She needs to have fun and mm -hmm. she'll work on some of her martial skills in that class and she'll work on her balance and all of that fun stuff. And then she has this other class that she is also looking for that no one else in the other class wants. Mm -hmm. no, no other kid could handle an hour of let's work on our forms. Let's do this. Can you remember this? So it, it, it's having those little off ramps for some of the students and not making the class just a free for all for uh, especially the younger ones, which that's what we we run into. So we do um, a guest exchange instructor thing. So we'll go to somebody's dojo in the area, teach, and they come here and teach. And that's worked really well. I mean, it it's just, fun. it brings yeah. something new in for the kids sometimes. Everybody's a little different. So we've got a Shotokan person come in, a Hapkido person come in and do those air rolls that they do and all that stuff. Is this for like an extended period or for like a seminar? Just yeah. one day. Yeah. Come in, teach the three classes we have on Wednesday and tell us what day you want to want us to come to your school and we'll teach something and we, we do it pretty good so we uh, basically I leave it completely up to the instructor that's coming in most of them will ask like what's what, what are you looking for out of this and I'll ask them I'll be like do you want me to I'm pretty well cross-trained and stuff so I'll be like do you want me to incorporate what you do into the drill I do or do you want me to do it something totally different that they've never seen before mm -hmm. so that's something we do, but sometimes we go to their class and their school and you see the little class, you see the little kids class. And that, that's where you're like, oh, this is just, you know, you, you can't give yeah. eight little kids foam swords. And no direction. And the instructor is giggling more than the kids because they're the instructor's 14. So it's like, okay, this is this is what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. I busy myself during those classes so I don't get up and turn into dojo mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's so funny when you have another instructor come to your school. At least this is how I feel. I'm always like a parent with like making sure that their kids behave themselves in front of like a new person, you know? So I'm like, we, we have a seminar at our school basically twice a year. And whenever some instructor comes in to do a seminar, I'm always thinking, Okay, students, let's be on our best behavior now, you know. That? Yes. Our, our students call me the dojo mom. They know that if they are on the floor and they hear my voice from behind the desk, that things have gotten a little too far and dojo mom needs to step in. Yeah. Yeah, when you have that guest come in and then there's that one kid who comes in and you're like, oh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> not you. <laughs> yeah. But that sounds fun. We would love for you guys to come out sometime and we would be honored to do vice versa. Maybe we could talk about that uh, later. Yeah. I mean, Texas is a, a ways away, but I'll make it happen. She's, she's always looking for a trip. <laughs> I, have to, I have to travel for work sometimes, so I'm not 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 as eager to go on planes, but yeah. Uh, Gotcha. I'm here six days a week. I'll go anywhere. <laughs> yes, it is warm down here. I will say that. <laughs> During the winter months, it you know, probably be a nice change of pace. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, um, coming back to both of your backgrounds before martial arts. Well, Mr. Ruddock, it sounds like you've been doing martial arts since you were quite young. But specifically about Mrs. Ruddock, the, the dance and yoga instruction, and Mr. Ruddock, the, uh, I saw on the website you also like coach youth sports and, and did personal training. I'm curious about, you know, when you entered into this current school that you're at, what were some of those things you were bringing 
onto the mats? What are some things that being on the mats, you know, have you gone back to yoga instruction? Have you gone back to coaching? And like, you know, are you taking, I'm just curious about your experience there and, and how those prior experiences informed what it was like stepping onto the mats and how being on the mats has informed those outside experiences. So I'm going to talk to his background real quick because sure. being an observer, I actually met him when he was a personal trainer. Yes, ma'am. And so I've seen that aspect of him working with adults and I only knew of him working with adults, but now watching him work with the, the younger ages and the kids and stuff, it's been a really cool progression to watch too. Um, but the way he has because of his personal training, the patience he has with those one-on-one -on -one moments, I don't feel an instructor who's only ever worked in group setting has the same level of patience. It's mm. really interesting to watch. And the way he can connect quickly on a one-to-one -one with a group around you is really, it's something I, I need to learn more. I need to take that because I've always worked group setting. Yes, when I taught dance, I also started teaching dance at about 12 years old. Started taking over my own classes about 15. Mm -hmm. I went to college for dance. So this was my focus. This is what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And because I have that background, I've definitely, that's, I still structure my classes similarly to a dance class. Like in my head, it's all kind of the same thing and I do te teach yoga I actually taught a yoga class this morning just before we met with you guys so yeah and I, I can talk about what she does with her background that's really interesting is so she mostly taught little kids dance I don't know if you've ever been to a dance recital I've been to a couple yes. and yeah. it's it's very similar to um little kids sparring it's it's a joy to watch, but you wouldn't you wouldn't put it up as okay. Here's here's the great thing. But then when you see the little kids in here, you know how hard it is to get a little kid to do anything. Mm -hmm. So her knowledge of just the developmental level of those kids, like okay, here's what I can expect because she's seen it. She has the life experience of this is what you get from a three and a half year old. This is what you get from a five year old. What, what am I supposed to expect from them? So she has this very good ability, like a lot of the parents don't even understand it about their own kids because sure. they'll watch class and our little classes, little ninja classes are 45 minutes, which is a long time for that age. Mm -hmm. And they'll watch class and they'll be like, my kid didn't do anything for the last 15 minutes. And I'm over there and I'm like, your kid is four. It, he was engaged for 30 minutes of a class. Yeah. We're not going to just sit there and yell at him now that he's not paying attention for 15 minutes. So it's understanding like what you can get out of them. I mean, I've been to t-ball games and by the second inning, the kids are throwing grass in the air and looking up and balls are going by their head. <laughs> it's just what you get from that age group. And it's really important to understand that. And then you take all of her. So the yoga, the Tai Chi, she's very interested in any type of movement. And I think part of that goes to being able to clear your mind because you're constantly learning new things. You're constantly working on new things. Mm -hmm. So our classes, a lot of times what we'll do, and this is something I, I picked up from personal training and youth sports was an, another interesting part of that. I can talk to that in a second, but being able to clear someone's mind when they first walk in 
So my warm-up isn't usually a typical warm-up. Like with adults, I'll start with a tricky punch combination. I'll just get them moving around a little bit. And tricky punch combinations, they have to think about. They can't just do it. It's not just, okay, move move around, jab, move it, you know, start with this, shuffle around, and you're thinking the whole time about, oh, yeah, I got to get dinner when I'm out of here. So it's a it's a it's something that's going to engage their mind. So then when we finish it, they're in class now. Mm-hmm. And with little kids, it's definitely a matter of you got to get them out of breath. If they're still talking to you, they, <laughs> they didn't do enough because they're, they're still not in class yet. Um, but one of the interesting, so at one of the schools we went to, he did a really interesting thing. All the kids sit in like a Cesar position and they go like this and they count backwards from 100 altogether. So, so we did it with them. And when you get doing that, you can't think of anything. If you count upwards yeah. to 100, you your mind will still work. You're used to yeah. counting backwards. Yeah. I got up and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm here. About to say, I might have trouble with that one. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it a few times with like 30. With the littlest ones, I start at maybe even 10 sometimes. Yeah. Can yeah. we count to 10? Okay, let's try counting backwards yeah. from 10. But it's just a matter of getting the, the person in the mood to do the thing that they're here to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of the, the places I've been, the things I've seen with warm-ups, they're exercising them, but they're not exercising their minds to the point where the person is now engaged in karate. They're in karate mode. One of the, we did um, an advanced training this weekend. And one of the people there said to me, he goes, he's, he wasn't a big fan of the gi. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, in our adult program, it's kind of optional. It's sort of an informal class, the adult program. Um, kids wear it, adult program, more informal. And he said, the only reason I like the gi is because when I put it on, I know what I'm about to do. And I was like, that's a great point because it is, you're, you're in this specific thing to do this specific task. And from, from youth sports, the only thing I really picked up that was super important was you can't let anybody stand around. Mm. If if somebody's got 10 seconds to stand around, they're going to start talking. They're going to start doing something. So very important that you get everybody moving. And the line is moving in an appropriate way. If, you, if it is a thing that's going to take a little bit longer in line, what I'll do is I'll have something going on in line. Like you have to move up right when the other person moves so that they're still focused on moving up. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I like them to always be doing something. I don't like anybody in line for like more than five seconds. Isn't it great how kids like to slow down the class to their own detriment sometimes? They just start talking. What does this mean? Yeah, yeah, they kind of want to be a center of attention sometimes. So they kind of like, you know, ask a question just to like purposely slow things down. And it's like, or they'll be doing something and they, they, them slowing it down is making themselves bored. It's like, yeah. It's it's funny because I'll I'll say that to um, our kids who help instruct sometimes. you're snapping them out of class sometimes with what you do or what you say. So if there's a, if there's a big jolt from the business next door, everybody's going to turn and look at it and you're going to go, what was that? And you're forgetting what you're doing. So it's going to take you a minute to re-engage to the drill you were doing. So sometimes when a kid is acting out, it's snapping everybody out of a class setting and you see it. You can do, sometimes you just watch it on their face. Everybody's like smiling and happy. And then all of a sudden you just see the shoulders slump mm-hmm. and it's, you just see a, a mood change all of a sudden you have to figure out, okay, how do I re-engage them now? Yeah. And 
it sometimes it is it's new red square you didn't go fast enough everybody go sit down get up yeah Do just something that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes them go that's why you know even though i feel like teaching is scientific it is also and forever will be an art because it's just like for example you'll be doing like um karaoke or something and you know how little kids are so terrible at karaoke and they're like always going back or always going forward or they don't know what they're doing you know and you're trying to make sure they get it right but if they spend too much time trying to get it right they get bored and then the whole class gets bored so it's like it's this weird balance of like okay try to get it right a few times and then you can't really get it okay just keep moving them down the floor so that the yeah. momentum of the class keeps moving forward and it doesn't get derailed and like a lot of my beginning instructors when they first come on they will be so focused on trying to get the kid to do it right that they're really yes. happening with the whole class all together. Yeah, ne never give a, one of my rules for our younger instructors is never do one-on-one -on -one correction in a group drill. Mm, like save it, let, let the kid do it wrong and then pull them off to the side mm. and be like, hey, come over here for a second and then do it just so that the drill continues because if you try to correct that one person, now you have a, and it, the, the funny thing is the kid starts getting anxious about it because he's, they know there's a line of people behind them waiting to go and you're doing the correction. So they're not even thinking about what you're telling them. They're going, I'm holding up everybody else. I'm holding up everybody else. And you're correcting nothing at that point because they're not paying attention to you. One of the things that's nice about the two of us is we work together frequently but we also have the time when we're in the car driving home to reflect back on our classes. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, why did I lose those kids tonight? Why were those kids unfocused? And he can see, oh, such and such was happening or this was going on or that was going on. So then I'm like, okay, well then that didn't work. So I have to try something different next time. Like we can kind of help each other in that aspect sometimes. And yeah. you know, the, the person on the sideline also sees things that the person teaching the class doesn't. So one of my um, biggest downfalls is I get very tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. So it's good in certain aspects. I can hyper-focus. Mm -hmm. Like, so when I'm at the gym, I don't hear the music playing. I can get that focused into things. But it also, I, I won't see what else is going on around me sometimes. So it's good when I'm talking, I'm like, oh, so-and-so, they were a little off in class or they had a great class and she'll be like, actually, and so she's seeing it from the sideline in a different way. And the same thing, sometimes she'll be like, boy, that one kid, I had to talk to him a lot. And I go, he was pretty good throughout. You just kind of, every time you turned around happened to be when he was doing the thing. Yeah, that makes me think also, you know, we've got school starting up this week and, you know, in all the local public schools and just talking about that awareness of the class and all the things going on inside the class. I find myself, you know, uh, something will be going on in class. I'm like, man, like, what is going on today with the kids? Like, what is it? And then after class, I'll find out like, oh, today was the first day of school. Or, oh, today, like something happened in town or, you know, yep. like, and, and yep. so kind of keeping your ear to the ground with goings on in your local community, that can really be helpful, you know. Absolutely. I, that That's one of my jobs. And we also, we also <laughs> so when, when the kids come in, What'd you do today? Like, did you, hey, oh, I was at the pool all day. Okay, well, oh, I know gonna that he's going <laughs> to. Yeah. Or... And so much can happen in such a short period of time. Like when the kid is 
entering that door, pulling their card, coming out on the floor, circling up. We do a little circle up before class to get the kids so they're not running around and doing weird things. Um, and the way you're circling the kids up, the questions you're asking, the way you're responding to those questions is important. It's so important. Oh, yeah. if there's sound in the lobby. Did the parents, is the parent standing by the doorway? Are they, you know, talking loud? Are they talking, trying to correct their student, their, their child or something? It has an immense effect. And sometimes I just... I'm sitting there, you know, behind the counter and I see a parent doing something like, oh, like you don't you know what you're doing class. right now, you yeah. know, but you're causing, you're going to cause me so much problems here in, a, in just a minute. Um, but yeah, but that's why they send it to us, you know. Being aware of that as an instructor, because you'll go places and those inter instructors aren't interacting with the students. They're in their office or worst case scenario, they're not here yet. Mm hmm they know, oh, my class starts at a certain time. I don't have to show up yet. And they don't have the same interactions with their students and they don't have the same rapport with their students. Yeah. Super important. And with the parents, because a lot of times the, the kid will tell you one thing, the parent will tell you another thing. Mm. So it's it, there's a lot of back and forth and all the kids. You, you can If you have a kid that comes to you twice a week for three months, when they come in, you can kind of tell what mood they're in. So mm. it's... If there's a kid who's usually ready to go and they're in here and they're kind of no more disheveled. looking off, I, I might pretend to throw kicks at them before class, get them moving a little bit, just like, oh, oh mm -hmm. just something. And if, if they come in and they're really wound up, mm -hmm. then you might call them over and be like, hey, um, I wanted to talk to you about this thing. And, it takes and you start talking to them a little bit, get them to have a conversation, sure. just seeing what the kid is coming in like it's it's harder with new new kids obviously but with your students that you've had for a while you you just know right when they come in what kind of mood they're in and what you should have a, some type of not a, a specific plan but you should have some kind of action plan that you can take like okay i need to cheer this kid up i need to if it's sometimes it's so bad that you i'll call them over and be like hey what's going on mm -hmm. and yeah. they'll, they might say something like i got in trouble at school today or whatever it is but then you at least know and then you're like, okay, I'm not going to get on them because then they might have an outburst in class because they're mad about something else. Yeah. What's your experience with your like, like leadership team working with teenagers and getting them to be confident, touching and moving the children? You had mentioned something about, you know, I don't know, way back in the beginning of our conversation about like some teenager not getting in there you know just kind of staying on the sidelines being sort of a wallflower in the classroom he is the assistant instructor what's an assistant instructor you're the disciplinarian you're the cheerleader your your job is to build the energy behind the students to make them want to come up with their energy and when that person's just sitting back like this you're not why am i paying you <laughs> why am i paying you that's your job you know? one of the things i tell the students is be the instructor you'd want to have Mm -hmm. Do you want the instructor that's standing in the corner? You're not even sure if they're paying attention. They're mm -hmm. leaning on the bags. Or do you want the instructor that's saying, hey, good job. Yep, move up. Keep going. Yeah, nice work, buddy. And that's that's kind of my number one with them. Be the instructor you want to be. And then if they don't know what that means, then we'll kind of coach them a little bit more. Like if he's over in the waiting area, he'll come over and be like, hey, Go in that line. Those kids need your help. Or I had a, an instructor. I was like, she's not involved. He's like, put a doodle in her hand and have her whack the kids. I'm like, oh, thank you. Didn't even, don't even know why that didn't enter my mind. 
but okay, yep, yep, involve her in another way. Yeah, and then yeah. Yeah. it comes down to almost tone of voice most of the time. And there's a very big difference between going move, move, <laughs> and move, move. It's just yeah. a different, yeah, it just yeah. elicits a different response from the kids. And <laughs> it, it, we expect, we tell the leadership team, like, we mess up all the time. We make mistakes. We're trying things. We're, and some of them don't work. You're going to make a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. you're going to do this. But if you're just sitting there and going, well, this is, I'm content with yeah. this, then you're going to have a problem. And you're, you're probably teaching isn't right for you. You know, it's this point. so funny you say that because a lot of times when I bring new staff members on and I say, okay, you know, like they don't come on to staff yet, but they're my leadership team and, I, and they come in to help out with their first class or something let's just say hypothetically that class goes sideways, which a lot of times it does because they don't have a lot of experience. And I'll say, well, how'd you think class went? And they'll be like, oh, it was great. And I'll be like, oh, what? Yeah. I'll be like, what? You don't even know what the problem is. Like, how can we even fix it? Like that class had no energy whatsoever. <laughs> um, you know, it's just yeah. so funny that the most, I think the first thing that the, the student has to understand is like their, their failings. Like you were saying, we make mistakes all the time. Yeah, I make mistakes all the time. But the first step is to recognize that you make mistakes or you can't even begin uh, yep. to move from there. I'm, I'm very um, self-critical. So I, I, I have no problem. I tell the kids, I'm like, listen, I can show you how to chamber up a kick, how to do it properly. I'm not a good kicker. I have a bad hip from playing basketball. And I'm lucky if I can kick to, to my waist height most of the time. Mm -hmm. So yes, I will show it to you low. That doesn't mean that's the expectation for you. I want you to be better than me. I think a lot of instructors are saying, like, here's the, the epitome of what you can reach. Try to get to me. Where with, with me, it's more, I want you to be better at me than everything you do. I'm, I am, I'm, the way I always say is I'm okay at this. That's just my general thing. I'm not very good at this. Some things I, I know I'm, I'm a little better than okay at, <laughs> but certain things that I'll be like, listen, I'm, I'm not great at this. We're going to work on this together. I think we're that's, both going to be doing that's it. the best way to be a teacher and be a coach because you're not entering into a competitive relationship with your students, which can be destructive in its own way. And if you look at other sports, like, you know, the coach, like, like, let's say football, professional football, are you expecting the professional football coach to be able to beat all the professional football players? Like, no, you're not. Like, yeah. that's the same thing with teaching martial arts. And you know, usually the coach got there because he's been doing it for many, many years. He's usually an older person. If you're an older person, you're not, you shouldn't be like looking up to somebody who's in their forties. You, you should be looking at people who are in their twenties that are in their prime of their life and trying to compete, compete against those type of people. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, I don't remember who said this, but it was, it was a great example of that. It was like, who do you want to take golf lessons from tiger woods or the guy who tiger woods takes golf lessons from because he still has a coach yeah and i'm going to tell you which one is going to win the tournament yeah but who's going to help your golf game more it's going to be the guy who's the coach and as you know as you first start teaching like just because you're good at a sport doesn't mean you can in uh, intelligently break down what makes you good and impart that to somebody else it's a totally different mm -hmm. skill um mm -hmm. So probably Tiger Woods, I'm not, I don't know, but he might not be even that great of a coach. His coach is probably phenomenal because mm -hmm. it's what made Tiger Woods so good. In, in my experience, if somebody is naturally good at something, 
they're, they're very, they're not good at teaching that thing because they don't even understand why they can do it. So I was working with one of my sons on um, jumping. He got into basketball this year. And uh, when I was younger, I could jump really high. And I never, until I started working on it with him, I didn't understand what I was doing. Like if you would ask me 10 years ago to break down how I do a, a vertical jump, I would not have been able to do it because I, I'd be just do this. What do you mean? What, I, I just have the right timing for everything. So there's certain things that it, it, it does. It takes you have to be like, okay, how do I break this down into something that somebody can understand? Because there's a lot of moving parts to it. There's a lot of moving parts to a jab. Like, you know, where, where is your hand starting? Where does it retract to? How far out do you go? What does your front hip do? What is your foot doing? All these things. Are you rolling your shoulder over? Are you keeping your chin down? There's a hundred things to, to work on. So it's a, it's a matter of if you're good at it, if we have some kids who come in here that are eight years old and hit like trucks. And I have no idea how they do it. And they don't have any idea how they do it. Their parents have no idea. They're just naturally they have very good timing. They understand how to shift their body weight into a punch. Yeah. And other kids, it doesn't work that way. When I was in the gym, everybody would go over to the biggest jack guy. What do you do? What do you, and they'd be like, I oh, just pick up these weights and I lift them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the guy, it's the guy in the gym who you've seen go from 140 pounds to 190 pounds mm -hmm. and is still struggling and it doesn't lift the craziest amount of weight but is making that's the guy you want to talk to because that's the guy who has had to research it and break it down and figure out what works those are the people you actually want to take instruction from it's that, that struggle that teaches you so much and i feel yeah i totally agree with you um you know when i was younger i could get away with a lot of things that i can't get away with now i was just so fast and explosive and flexible and you know, so I could get my foot to where I wanted to go, not because of the form was right, but because I had elasticity in my, in my um, ligaments and I had explosion to be able to get it up there, you know, but then as I've gotten older, I've started to really realize, well, I need to really figure out technically how to be better. And uh, I, I think sometimes when you're younger, it's hard to see that. And especially if you're young and you're really gifted um, it can be sort of a curse to being a good teacher, like you're saying. And and the the I think the most troubling part of that, so our youngest son has run into this problem, is when you have natural ability, it can cover up a lot of flaws. Mm -hmm. So you don't even realize you have these flaws. Um, he moves very fast. He's very dynamic. People watch him and they're like, wow, he's good. He has that snap when he does techniques. And people watch it and they go, oh, wow, wow, he's really good. He must practice a lot. And I'm like, oh, actually, <laughs> he practices like a normal amount. Mm -hmm. um, but what, it, what he has helped him is as he's gone up against tougher competition. Mm -hmm. So if he stayed in like more local circuits, mm -hmm. he, he would just cover up his flaws with the, the way he moves, the quickness. And he, he'll still even do it. He'll do things so fast you don't see it. Yeah. Unless you have a very trained eye. But now that he's competing as other people that are equal skill, it's the people. There's a lot of naturally talented people, but it's the kids who are naturally talented and willing to learn and to work on their technique that end up elevating to the higher level. So it's a, it's a matter of, OK, you have this natural ability that doesn't mean 
you don't have a lot of underlying flaws and you're eventually going to run into that wall where those flaws show up, whether it's age or you're just going into tougher competition. One of the things I found so interesting was uh, when I went to Korea to train with some of the best in the world, I was surprised because a lot of our training was actually super duper slow. Like we would be like doing kicks really slow up and down the floor. And it was just like, it was great, you know, because it really teaches you how to have proper chamber and extension and all those kinds of things. But I think a lot of people when they're first starting out would imagine, okay, you're training at the highest level. You must be just going like nuts, like ah, really fast doing all this kind of stuff. It's like, we did some of that sometimes, but actually surprisingly, a lot of time we were going like really slow with our techniques to develop perfect precision and coordination and things like that. Yeah. Another thing we say all the time, if you can't do it slow, you can't do it fast. Yes. And we, we were doing kicks the other night and we were doing it slow. I'm like chamber it all the way out, hold it, get it up as high as you can, then extend the kick, bring it back, put your foot where you want it to They'll go. They'll fall over because they have no balance. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, everybody tries to kick their, what I just call their, their relaxed kick height. It's like, you can't do that. Your, your muscles flexed right now because you're holding your leg up. You, and I, I, this is one thing I can demonstrate really well with a roundhouse kick, because when I bring my leg up, extend it out, I can get to like Bob's waist. But if I just let my leg go with the timing and everything and get him in the head. Sure. And it's like, you, you, but you can't get that timing yeah. without doing it slow. Otherwise, you're just going to be doing one of these big sort of crescent kick type of things that mm. drive me bananas. <laughs> <laughs> jellyfish push-ups or just their core is sagging <laughs> uh, yeah we've, we've had some fun push-ups push-ups are interesting we had one dad that looked at his kid doing it and he's like oh my god i gotta put an x rating on him <laughs> i don't even have the news to do push-ups because i can't handle it <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean that's one of the joys of teaching martial arts is you just get to see the funniest things in the floor. You laugh at children. Yes. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like we could talk for another hour. We've already taken an hour of your time. Um, this, is, this is an awesome conversation. I feel like our, our goals and our teaching philosophies really align well. And um, I think, you know, you guys have a lot to offer people in your area. It sounds like you guys are great teachers um and you know we'd love to have you back on in the future talk about a different topic you guys are very personable and seems very knowledgeable about not only the martial arts but about fitness and you know working with people and all sorts of things like that so anyway it's been a pleasure yes, thank yeah. you anytime this was great great talk thank you so much if you enjoyed that podcast please consider liking and subscribing to our youtube channel as well as hitting the notification bell we offer in-person group and private lessons at our facility in Kyle, Texas, as well as virtual lessons anywhere in the world. If you'd like to learn more about our programs, you can find us online at risingphoenixtkd.com.